Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Darren. Hello. You know, I like to start each episode by asking you guys if you've listened to anything interesting lately. Yeah, uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Phil Nyblock, I think it's uh, pronounced. You ever heard of him, Gabe? No, no. He's like a super, super minimalist uh, composer. It's just like held tone, you know, like two or three tones just going for a really long uh, <laughs> amount of time. And it's really wow. cool. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah. What about you, Darren? Uh, you know, besides what we're talking about today, actually, um, somebody asked me to listen to this artist, this girl named Billie Eilish. Is that ah, I've I, heard a lot about this person. Yeah, I, I, I felt like I was probably late to the game with this, but um, yeah, she's kind of like, I guess, the the lord of this. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's, it was kind of uh, instant the moment I started listening to it, but uh, I mean, she's not bad, but like, I listened to the entire album and it was pretty much boring besides like the two main singles so yeah i thought it was a little weird it's weird because i was looking that album up today on rate your music because i keep hearing a lot about it but she's like 17 yeah. and i just feel like yeah. there's no, there's nothing a 17 year old's got to offer me <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah I, I don't think you're missing out on much dan <laughs> good good yeah i strongly suspect that it's crap but um i have been listening to uh, we talked about this, Dan. Boobs of Doom. I know it's the worst name ever. <laughs> it's the worst it name. The worst name ever. I just can't take it seriously. But it's like this, you know, weird. It's kind of like um, I don't know, mezzanine era, um, like trip hop ish kind of like dark trip hop or something. Uh, Massive Attack, of course. Uh, but mixed with like sun or earth, kind of like droning and just blown out distortion it's um it's cool but the the fun part is that they're releasing an album every month this year so they're up to four starting today and uh that's four hours of just i mean punishing kind of trip-hop drone i'm I'm loving yeah it's it's really rad i've been listening to it too yeah yeah love it uh but let's jump into today's topic because we got a hell of a lot to get to um a while ago we did an episode on the 10th anniversary of animal collective's Merryweather Post Pavilion, an album that, love it or hate it, seems guaranteed to stick around in the popular consciousness. But then it occurred to us that a ton of fascinating, if slightly less memorable, albums will be turning 10 this year too, and we think they deserve a little retrospective celebration as well. So we decided to revisit all of our favorite records from 2009 and compare our personal top five lists, but we also want to discuss the musical landscape of that year in general, you know, what trends survived and informed the next decade and uh, which ones quickly faded into obscurity. We plan on finding out. I don't want to spoil any of our picks, which we haven't shared with each other yet. I'm actually very excited to hear. Um, so even though it feels a little anticlimactic, before we get into that bigger 2009 conversation, we should just go ahead and go over our list. Dan, what was your number five record of 2009? Yeah, uh, my number five record, uh, Black Moth Super Rainbow with Eating Us. Um, that's, uh. yeah, it's a it's a band. Uh, they're, they're not super uh, big or anything, but um, it's like this weird um, electronic, like sort of bubblegummy uh, synth. Uh, they get compared to like Boards of Canada a lot, but I don't, I don't super like that um, uh, 
comparison um but then the the singer it always sings through a vocoder so it's like this weird uh sort of like alien because it's slightly scary um feel to it over over these like what would normally be sort of bubblegummy and 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 sweet sounding um so i i've just always really liked them and uh this album it's it's basically the the last album they released that was good everything after that just they they really kind of fell into being like a a one-trick pony kind, kind of band um but uh, this is a record I, I, I've loved since it came out, and I, I, I still like it. Um, either you guys uh, got that one on your list? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't. But And in fact, it's not on my radar at all. I've never really listened to it. But <laughs> is that the uh, same guy as like Tobacco? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the like leader of Black Moth Super Mario. But he's, he's essentially the, the only person in, in both of them. Okay, I gotta say I was mildly intrigued. Um, didn't like the lyrics that much, but this uh, Malibu Ken album from this year. Yeah, did you check that out? I didn't listen to it because, like I said, the last uh, two Black Moth records and, and one EP were just basically garbage. And then uh, Tobacco's had uh, a couple solo releases since then, and just pretty pretty garbage too. So I I didn't check that one out, but I have actually heard good things about it. So I, I think I should. Yeah, I thought the the beat making, which we should clarify is by this tobacco guy, um, was really very, very interesting. And maybe gives me a little portal into maybe the sound of that record, even though it was 10 years ago. Um, Okay, Derek, what is your number five record? Wait, don't I get to talk about Black Mouth Super Rainbow for a second? Sure. Uh, They opened for Animal Collective, right? No, that's Black Dice. Okay, so, well, so (laughs) I did, I will say, though, although I haven't heard this record, I have listened to their previous record, I guess. I think it's Dandelion Gum. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the only one I'm really familiar with. That's their best one. Okay, well, good. That's the one I I know. Don't know this one. (laughs) And enjoy? Just know or know and enjoy? Uh, Mostly just know. I don't really remember it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's in my collection. It's one of those. I didn't delete it. That's a good thing, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, that always works. (laughs) All right. Then what is your number five, Darren? Yes. Number five for me is LaRue's album, LaRue. Okay. All right. All right. How come? Uh, You know, pop pop music actually... was a had a pretty big year i'd say uh in 2009 i think we, we might talk about this later on um in the honorable mentions maybe but uh larue really really stood out for me that year um and it it went beyond just like a single song or even two songs uh this album i was you know obviously listening to it quite a bit uh really took me back to that yeah. year in terms of like the sound and everything but uh, i was sort of surprised pleasantly surprised just how much of the record i recalled you know and how much of the record actually was worth listening to you know a lot of pop records kind of die off after like the first couple of songs or whatever you know yeah um, yeah this one holds holds together fairly well i mean i like a lot of the stuff that i'm going to talk about on this list you know they're not like all-time favorites you know what i mean they wouldn't really I doubt right. this would ever make an all-time great uh, list of mine, but, uh, you know, it was my favorite, you know, uh, of the, you know, I guess female pop singer records of that year. Yeah, this was one that I really, really loved that year. Um, you know, I think it's a topic that we'll want to return to um, again and again, but, you know, I, I was struggling all week as we were kind of compiling these lists to figure out was pop like really good exceedingly good in 2009 or um you know or wh- you know what was going on or if we just like sort of lost touch with the youth music or something but i just remember you know 
hearing actually that um, Bulletproof song on the Mm -hmm. radio of all places. And um, I think I was literally driving in a car and my, uh, you know, something like my aux cord wasn't working or something. It's literally the only reason I had the radio on. And um, I just heard the song and I like had to go home and download it immediately. And it was just, I mean, it's just like electro pop bliss. And it's very indie, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, do you think of it as like a mainstream pop record or an indie indie tronica record more like indie tronica you know kind of in the the vein of like a robin sort of thing you know okay. what i mean um not so so definitely not like your Katy perry's of the world at all uh it, it's weird re- it's it's strange how that you know bulletproof ended up being such a like a massive single you know what yeah. i mean mm-hmm. um and i can't remember like did pitchfork really love this record i don't think they I reviewed think it, it or anything they didn't even touch it did they no. No, I huh. think they did. Um this is the kind of thing we should look up before we go on air. But. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, while I look that up, uh, I that that was a record I was excited to like revisit when uh we decided to do this 2009 thing. Um because I I, I like really loved that. I really fell in love with that record uh, when it first came out and everything. But I I'll say it didn't make my list. Uh it's just it's one of those things that like in the in the time and maybe it was because I was younger, you know, I would hear bulletproof at the at the club and stuff. Um yeah. But it just doesn't hold up as well. You know, like it, I feel like any enjoyment I got from listening to the record was uh sort of nostalgia based more than yeah. anything else. It sounds dated. I, I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it sounds dated, but it also was kind of originally going for that maybe like 80s throwback synth pop kind of vibe which gives it a little bit more like lasting power it's not just 2009 in a nutshell it's got this kind of like lineage um which i think is really fun and really interesting and i I did re-listen to it this week uh didn't quite make my list but um it's certainly fun and i just this is something i want to keep coming back to like i said you know did it just feels like indie and pop were becoming much harder to distinguish uh around this time Mm -hmm. but we'll definitely return to that um but my number five yeah uh pitchfork did review it and they gave it a seven Okay, so not on the ball yet. That's also something I want to talk about, which Pitchfork has yet at this point, uh, the last year, where they were not what I would consider like a full Poptimist um, <laughs> publication. So maybe uh, maybe if this came out like a year or two later, it would have gotten a better score. Um, my number five, uh, The Field, Yesterday and Today. Either of you guys familiar with The Field? I am, and I forgot that record came out in 2000. I knew this was going to happen. I was going to forget some <laughs> records. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I haven't listened to that in forever. But yeah, I, I like the field. I can't say I've ever listened to it. Yeah, well, you know, their first, his first album was the big hit. It's called From Here We Go Sublime. It came out in 2007. Um, you know, on one hand, it's maybe like a little bit of pitchfork tokenism. You know, how they just randomly pick like an electronic artist to hype up for mm-hmm. some reason. But on the other hand, it actually is very accessible and melodic kind of minimal techno with like this shoegazy kind of dream pop feel to it. Um, It's, you know, it's a fascinating sound. And this is their second album, their sophomore album, which was kind of divisive, like didn't get as much acclaim. Um, It was kind of seen, you know, I reread Pitchfork's article as like, a little bit like half moving forward and half kind of retreading the same ground, which is interesting because he seems to be aware of this naming the album yesterday and today. Um, but in my opinion, it's kind of like the first album has this sort of charming amateurism to it. And this one is 
he's really becoming like an expert in soundcraft. It's got this like it's kind of gas style ambient techno, but like a little bit um a little bit more upbeat. It's all seems to be comprised of like little snippets of sampled sound, maybe in an oval kind of way. Um but it's got that like glistening shoegaze you know swells it's got this like kraut rock kind of chug um and on this album it's only six tracks long and they're all they're all longer than basically anything on the first album he's like really stretching out and most importantly he's incorporating live instruments it's like they're actually jamming um to these like minimal techno um vibes it's like especially the live drums i think adds so much so you know in my opinion it just even field fans don't love this album that much and i was i was honestly surprised to find that listening back i love it just as much as the rest of his work which i'm a huge fan of um and something like the last track which is called sequenced is 16 minutes long and it kind of like looks forward to the sort of darker like steve reich style minimalism that i think he's getting into in his in his more recent um work but you know do you guys have any memory of the doesn't it i mean was it a little earlier or what but it seems like Electronica was also kind of colliding with indie in a big way. We talked about Indietronica of LaRue, for example. But within a few years, guitars will be completely dead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely sort of the the beginning of, of that. You know, things like LaRue and, uh, I mean, even my, my number five pick, you know, Black Moth. Uh, it was that, like, sort of the, like, real beginning of the, like, melding of... Uh, indie rock and and electronic music yeah i would i would probably say uh, my entire list is very much in line with this like mending of uh electronic music and and indie indie rock it was it was absolutely peaking at that time and it's just amazing Mm -hmm. to think that like this these would be like this would be the the last year we would hear guitars basically um i think back to like you know it was a few years earlier but the knife's silent shout okay 2006 it um pitchfork gave it album of the year and i remember it causing extreme outrage because it was mm-hmm. like what an electronic album you know yeah you you didn't like that if i recall I, oh yeah pretty i was pissed that. i don't i don't remember what i liked more i think liars <laughs> or something like that but <clears throat> but i was like what like a token you know electronic artist pitchwork doesn't know anything about electronic music anyway they just pick one artist i was you know i was actually right about that even way back then but um (laughs) you know it it is a good album but you know it's interesting by like just by 2009 i mean there was nothing weird really Mm -hmm. about an electronic album being really moved um, fast i know i mean it just it just flooded things and you know it's i think it's a different beast from like the 90s when idm was really big but um We'll we'll talk more about that. How about your number four, Dan? Yeah, my number four. Uh, speaking of records that uh, you know aren't, aren't as loved by the fans of that band, uh, my number four is Clips Till the Casket Drops. Uh, for oh. some reason, th- this album gets I, I feel unfairly maligned. Um, it's the first record they did that's not a hundred percent produced by the Neptunes. It's mm. still like ninety eight percent produced by them, <laughs> but. Um, you know, I, I I think people complain that it's a little uh, too pop or, or whatever, um, but I, I like it. I, you know, it, it's definitely, you know, probably their third worst record, but it's um, still great, you know? Um, just just full of bangers. I, I You know, I'm a big Pusha T fan, and, uh, you know, this is the last 
uh, we hear from clips until, you know, Malice uh, goes Christian and everything. So it's got yeah. like an interesting story behind it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got a really nice Kanye feature. You can't ever go wrong with that. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I don't get why, um, why this record, I, I think this is a record that people need to look back on. It's something that like coming off of um, uh, Hell Hath No Fury, you know, the, the expectations were just, yeah. you know, yeah. super high. And it was one of those situations kind of where, you know almost anything they did was was not going to live up to it and and so i feel like because of that it got uh an unfair shake and so i think i think people could 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 go with looking back at it now you know with time past and, and appreciate it much much more yeah that's not um i've honestly never listened to it um, oh really huge fan of hell hath no fury which i'm seeing now was also 2006 i think that's better than the knife silent shout um Maybe in nah, uh, twenty twenty six. In twenty twenty six, we can do like a twenty year anniversary of all the. You know, we'll count down these records. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I do. I mean, I do love clips, and I, I didn't. I just sort of assumed because it got such bad reviews that maybe the Neptunes like weren't handling most of it. But it kind of looks like they are. Um, Darren, any kind of a clips fan in you? No, not really. I mean, I like Pusha T quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and I've always been meaning to come back to like a record like this or hell hath no fury but i just never have you're missing out dan does it sound like i mean i know it's the neptunes but does it sound like super 2009 hip-hop yeah a little bit um but you know what that that, that's one thing you know the hell hath no fury and and lord willing you know there's a there's those are classic records i don't at me but there's there's moments on it where you're like, you know, this came out in the early 2000s, and I can tell. Yeah. And, you know, Pharrell's got that sound, and we all know what it sounds like. And I feel like this record doesn't have that Pharrell sound as much. Um, hmm. But, I mean, you know, it definitely does. There's There's some songs that you can tell. Like, remember, like, this is sort of like... I can't remember if it's in the middle of or, or towards the end of of like the ringtone rap kind yes, of thing. Yes, yes, yes. And, and there's a couple moments that, you know feel a little ringtone rapish but it, it never like divulges you know completely into that or anything um but you know i mean if it, it feels there there's some references uh that are that are quite a bit date you know he makes like some lady gaga you know quips and stuff yeah but you know a uh, rap always kind of suffers from that a little bit yeah i mean you know I'm, I'm more worried about the sound but you know sometimes i think this is something we could touch on more uh moving forward also but you know sometimes it's like you revisit these older records and it's interesting to see how they were like kind of looking ahead to all the stuff that was going to happen. But sometimes it's also equally fun to see that they like really are just part of their time or something. Yeah. And, and, and um, see, this record is part of its time. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, we're, yeah. we're seeing what Pusha would become or, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. It, yeah, it's yeah. Not, nothing groundbreaking, but it's just that fun. Can be, that can be perfectly cool. Um, Darren, how about your number four? My number four was Discovery's LP. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Another indie meets electronic probably yes. way more electronic um on this record uh dan have you have you heard this record no i don't think i even know what that is <laughs> so it's it's the like a recording project of one of the guys who it will used to be in vampire weekend and then Uh-oh. i guess the other guy was like in Ra Ra riot okay you've heard of that band but um basically those two indie bands, two of their members came together and put this little like electronic project together. Um, 
And you know, I, I kind of picked it because it just it like really reminded me of 2009, yes, like yes. quite a bit. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not really a record that I had, had ever really come back to since then. Um, so it was, you know, I'll admit it wasn't like the most enjoyable listen. Like coming back to it, like the first time it was like, okay, this is cool. I remember this album, and then repeated listens, I was kind of like, yep, this is this is 2009 that we're in here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the record has a couple of really strong tracks. Uh, early on i'd say it was a pretty top heavy record as it like goes on you kind of like it's sort of like a one-trick pony you know what i mean yeah Um, but it's only 30 minutes you know so it's right so it's yeah that was my other point it was like it's really quick though like you you kind of get through it it's not you know it's not impossible to like get to the end of the album you know what i mean it's like a sugar rush to me and yeah it's kind of like a disposable quality you know like one of one of the 10 tracks um is kind of like a indie electronic cover of Jackson 5's I Want You Back, you know, um, which I think is really, it's really fun how they do it though. Uh, but in, in a sense that disposable quality is what makes it fun, you know, it, it's almost like, um, it's weird to think actually, cause we're talking about like electronic music, like kind of meeting indie <clears throat> and the whole presentation of this project feels kind of like, well, of course we wouldn't, you know, use so many drum machines and synths on like our real records, but this yeah, is exactly. for fun, you know. And like right. pretty soon, it it doesn't, it won't have to be for fun anymore. Just like with the with uh, the field I was just talking about, like it won't have to be a novelty anymore. It's just going to be like the thing. Um, but I do think this is an incredibly charming and fun album. That's a, another thing I want to ask you. Maybe you can answer, Dan. Do you feel like, um, <laughs> like music was just more fun in two thousand nine? This is something I kept thinking about this whole time. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I I want to say yes, but it might just be because like it seemed like kind of dancey things were um, big, yeah. and and that's you know intrinsically kind of kind of fun sounding. But uh, yeah, I guess maybe. I mean, you know, it was a better time. Uh, you know, d- different <laughs> different president and stuff. Different president. <laughs> yeah, Obama just got elected. It was yeah. Exciting. I mean, well, you know, we were all around the same age. You know, obviously, like. This was the time where we were going to clubs, you know, like indie yes. clubs and stuff. So and a lot fun. of the picks that I've got here, I remember, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember specifically hearing songs in the in the club. You know what I mean? I exactly. And see, like, I haven't gone to a club in, in you know, years and years. So maybe music years, is, maybe. yeah, I mean, maybe music's still just as fun, but I, I'm not hearing the fun, you know. And when, <laughs> when you do hear like those, you know, kind of club bangers just at home you know it's it doesn't have the same feel to it so maybe music still is fun probably not (laughs) yeah yeah it might be true uh but that that's something i want to return to uh later on as well my number four um i just learned how to pronounce this today let me see grizzly bear vecatimist i've always wondered how to say that (laughs) i literally never knew um it, I think it's such a fascinating album uh, for 2009 because, you know, two weeks. You guys remember the song Two Weeks, right? Oh, yeah. Mm, I mean, not off the top of my head. You, well, if you heard it, you would know it. But it's like absolute indie banger. I mean, it's just so catchy. It's like one of these masterpieces of indie crossing over into the world of pop. And I remember at the time, you know, com- comparing it in my head to uh, Animal Collective's My Girls um, and just thinking, you know, like something different is happening. These are like catchier than anything on the radio and they would, they would be huge hits if just the whole world heard them, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just that they don't know. Um, and then it turns out that two weeks was like complete misdirection because this album is 
weird. Like two weeks is the only mm-hmm. perfectly crafted pop song. The the rest are more like I would compare them to post rock. It's like uh, the same palette as do make say think. You know this kind of like rustic rustic tonal palette, like slightly jazzy, lots of woodwind instruments, strummed acoustic guitars. There's like, you know, it's really slow and meandering, just like wandering through different, um, you know, it's like each song could be like five different songs. It's like the, the tempo constantly changes and builds up and breaks down. And then it'll occasionally just burst into this like jaw dropping, these harmonies, these Beach Boys type harmonies, like this pure chamber pop um it's actually kind of similar to fleet fox's last album which i really loved and it's funny because back in 2009 i always thought of grizzly bear as like the thinking man's fleet foxes you know the (laughs) the fleet foxes you couldn't hear at starbucks basically um and so it's a really weird album because there's you know a lot of people describe it as sort of like boring and meandering but listening back to it it's like really fun to search search around through um do you have any memories of this album, Darren? Yeah, I do because I'm a I'm a really big fan of their previous record, Yellow House. Yeah, yeah. And I remember even in 2009 trying to get into this album and just couldn't do it. And you know, obviously, two weeks was what you would think would be the gateway to the record, but um, like you just mentioned, it's pretty misleading. Um, coming back, I came back to this record as well and wanted thinking that like, yeah, this should go on my list, but I just. I couldn't get it there because, again, I just could not connect to this record even now. Yeah. You know, and like another thing is like, like, do you guys remember, like, Dan, do you remember having the feeling in 2009 that indie was gonna like reach critical mass? Like it was gonna cross over any minute now? Yeah. I mean, it did feel like that. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways, maybe like Animal Collective's My Girls kind of did that or something. But I think about, you know, the next, by the next year, um, Arcade Fire's The Suburbs will win Album of the Year at the Grammys. Yeah, you know? I remember so, watching that live in yep. your living room. <laughs> so yep. that that's yep. Yep. you know that's almost like the moment. Like when we look back at history, like that'll be the moment that indie and mainstream finally collided for good, and they were indistinguishable forevermore. You know, um, and it's interesting that this moment seemed to be it was like occurring to all these bands. They were like, we got to go for it. You know, we got to take it. It's it's happening. And um, Grizzly Bear, they do it with two weeks and then they like completely shy away from it. you know there I, I think about all these like famous moments in musical history where band like underground bands are like primed to break through mm-hmm. and sometimes they do it you know you think about like an rem or something you know they're like hell yeah we can write like a radio hit song and then mm-hmm. you know, we're gonna like dominate you know or like smashing pumpkins you know it's like let's make a double album that's just gonna have like six number one singles on it but then you think about something like pavement and like when their moment came, they were like, here's Wowie Zowie, like, fuck you. <laughs> you know, yeah, we don't exactly. we don't want you guys listening. And I think that's basically what um, Grizzly Bear did here. It, but, but it's, you know, what I'm saying, Darren, it's weird because two weeks like gives you that. But then they really pull the rug out from under you. Right. Because like, you know, I think back to like Yellow House and I, there's not really a two weeks on Yellow House. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I guess that's that's Maybe knife was like, yeah. The, yeah, was like the big hit. But, you know two weeks almost sounds like a different band Mm -hmm. uh to me it was it was almost jarring um but but yeah it's it's really it's really interesting and i I, i'm fascinated that you like really love this did you love this record back then too i did you know i listened to it so much and i do believe now that if you listen to it enough every little weird meandering part you'll just find yourself singing along to i think it's 
it's like one of those things that's worth returning to because it's there's so many like weird nooks and crannies, you know, almost like a double album. You know how I love double albums. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just wonder if Grizzly Bear, you know, like they're watching Arcade Fire up on the Grammy stage and thinking like, fuck, if we had written like 10 versions <laughs> of two weeks, you know, maybe we would have been up. That would have been us up there, you know, but very well could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, OK, so number three. Damn, what's your number three? Yeah, my number three is Fever Ray uh, with their self-titled uh, debut okay. record. Um, it's uh, Karen, I, I think it's Dryger, uh, whatever. Right. From Speaking the of knife. the knife. Uh, yep. Yeah, 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 doing a lot of knife talk tonight. Uh, um, I, I absolutely I absolutely love the knife. Uh, silent Shout for the Record deserves Album of the Year 2006. Wow. And, uh, wow. and, and this record, <laughs> it's essentially the knife light um okay you know which you know works in its benefit in the fact that the knife is great but it, it sort of works as a little bit of a detriment in that it's just the knife light but you know you've got the it, right off the uh, get-go if i had a heart is like an absolute banger it, it, if it wasn't so weird like with the vocals and stuff i think that yeah that could have been uh, sort of like one of these hits uh we talk yeah. about and uh, it's purely electronic right you know so. yeah exactly um you know, so it, it, it's it's taking sort of these like indie tronica things that uh, that we've been talking about it, but it's it's skewing it through that that weird bubble, uh, you know, that that the knife does. Uh, a lot of times, like the instruments are are weirdly cheesy. You know, the the knife and, and this record uses a lot of like that um, a steel drum kind of sound. You know, it sounds yeah, like right, right. fucking Little Mermaid soundtrack or something. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I, but I love that kind of stuff. You know, it's 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 making these like weird, you know, dark songs. But then you know, using this instrument that that most people you know know from the Little Mermaid, um, it, it, it's it's this weird like dichotomy me and uh it, it, it i i returned to this record um you know throughout the year you know i don't think there's been a year since 2009 i i haven't listened to this record at wow. least at least a couple times um it, you know it's just great uh, oh. but it and is like something it. usually usually i come to it because i listen to all the knife records and then i want more okay. <laughs> and you like it a lot better than the other fever ray album uh, uh plunge the uh the newer yes. one um yeah, I think I listened to this one more than Plunge. Uh, I was trying to think of the last time I listened to Plunge. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think I think I think I do prefer this one. Yeah, I, you know, I never I never really listened to this. Although I do remember one time being at a bar and this was playing, and I was like, you know, asking somebody sitting near me like, "This is a really good song. What is this?" And they told me it's from Fever Ray's you know first album, and I was like, "I should check that out." So maybe I would like it if I listened to it. But I I kind of think like now that I'm thinking back, maybe I was still so outraged about Silent Shout getting <laughs> album of the year that I refused to listen to this. It actually wasn't until a little later that I like finally went back and was like, "Damn, Silent Shout is like really good." But I don't think I ever got around to this, though I did listen to the more recent one a lot. Um, what about you, Darren? I don't I don't imagine you were a big Fever Ray fan in 2009. No, definitely not. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, haven't really listened to any Fever Ray. I've listened to the Knife a little bit, but can't say that I'm a big fan. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, I like that uh, you say you haven't listened to a lot of Fever Ray, but we reviewed that record uh, on our previous <laughs> podcast. We did. <laughs> Must have really stuck with you. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I the name did sound familiar. Maybe that's where it's coming. <laughs> there you from. go. Okay, Maybe that's where it's coming from. Well. No, um, you know, a lot of electronic, a lot of like indie tronica going on here, but no crossover on any of our lists, which I find very interesting. It's actually yeah. going to take us, it's going to take us like three hours to get through our list if we have no crossover whatsoever. <laughs> um, Darren, what is your number three? 
All right, my number three is Julian Casablancas with Phrases for the Young. I cannot believe it. I Do cannot believe this it. record. I love this record. <laughs> yes. It really almost made my list. I just I thought I was the only one on earth who liked it. <laughs> yeah, I actually loved it in 2009. Like absolutely wow. loved it. Yes, and I'm so happy. I uh it was a great discovery cuz I you know I I kind of you know I did reach out to you guys uh you know full disclosure I reached out to, out to you guys cuz I was struggling with this 2009 stuff, right? And when you encouraged me to start looking at like Last FM Dan, I found that I had been listening to this album and I was like, "Oh shit, I completely forgot that this even existed." <laughs> You're welcome. So uh you know, yeah. <laughs> so going back to it was uh really cool. So this is the frontman of The Strokes, Dan, if you weren't familiar i know who he is um okay okay uh his solo album i think this is just his one and only like completely solo record right gabe is yeah that yeah because he you know he's got like the voids now and stuff so yeah but um but yeah i mean this this album just rocks you know it's eight songs long um you know the tracks are a bit longer you know four or five minutes i guess but yeah. uh it just rocks all the way through, you know. But it's a, uh, it's a little, it's got that like electro pop thing going on. You a little know? bit, yeah, yeah. I, again, this has kind of been the theme of my my list <laughs> yeah. so far. Uh, this one though, I think leans a little more into the indie rock. Still, you know, still a lot of guitars, yeah, and stuff on this. But on it, this it, record. it always makes me think of you know this. You remember the Stroke song Twelve Fifty One that had like I, I don't even know what the it's got like a synth on it and you know. At, that was like the first single after their big breakthrough first album, you know, is comes off their second album. And it was a little jarring at that time to hear them like using synth tones and stuff. And then by the time we get to this album, it, he like sounds so natural in that world. Um, I, I love it as well. And I think that, I don't know, it's like, he's so frustrating as a person, you know what I mean, Darren? Because mm-hmm. it's like, he's so fucking good. And the strokes are right. so good. And it's like, you wish they were better. They were better, you know. And in fact, they only—it's like almost like they have only two good albums. But then, I think this this could stand alongside, you know, maybe not their first album, but this is like worthy of checking out even now, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Like uh, this is probably one of the records, maybe one of one of two records on this list of mine that I feel like doesn't feel extremely dated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was enjoying listening to it, you know, and I think I'll try to keep it in the rotation here for the next few weeks but um but yeah like i i just think that uh it's fun you know it's it's got a lot of strokes vibes to it obviously i mean yeah you wouldn't it wouldn't be a huge mistake to actually think of this as a strokes record i think um but uh it works i like it all right well my number three is uh the dream with love versus money Mm. um I don't suppose you guys listened to this back then, but we did on our previous podcast review the Dream's first album. Mm-hmm. Yep, you guys remember that? I, I do. Yeah, I, I listened to this one again uh, in the lead up to this. Wow, yeah, to this list. But well, I mean, I think it's got it's got such an incredible sound. You mentioned ringtone rap earlier, Dan, and yeah. this is like really rooted in ring, ringtone rap of the mid two thousands, but it's elevating it to like Prince levels of creativity in my in my opinion. You know, it's like you know, think Laffy Taffy, but if, you know, Prince was um, arranging that song or something, um, you know, it's also got like a, it's got like the songcraft quality of like R. Kelly. Um, and as far as R&B goes, um, and in fact, as a side note, um, I've always thought that, you know, now that R. Kelly has been canceled, 
We should all just... Yeah, I was going to say, should we be talking about R. Kelly right now? Well, we should all just switch over to the dream because I, he's honestly better, <laughs> in my opinion. And, you know, he does have a little bit of domestic abuse stuff. Okay, but it's not as bad <laughs> as what R. Kelly was up to. So I think we should all just, you know, just replace Ignition with, um, you know, walking on the moon off this album. Um, but, oh, and also I wanted to mention as far as while we're, while we're on the topic of R. Kelly, um, there's an amazing song on this album about having sex to R. Kelly's album 12 play, where it's like he's having sex with her for so long that it's like 24 play, 36 play, 48 play. You know, it's, it's <laughs> genius. Um, but basically this album, you know, it's like the guy who wrote Rihanna's Umbrella. He wrote Justin Bieber's Baby, Beyonce's Single Ladies, and like a million other things. I think he's contributed to basically every Kanye album of the last decade. Um, it's basically him cramming as many hooks as he can into every song. There's like three choruses on every track that would be a hit on their own. Um, and, you know, by, by virtue of this, it's basically like better in every way than his previous album, in my opinion, because it's just like, more complex more sophisticated um but it's also kind of just denser sound wise and quite a bit darker um and then lyrically you know it's it's a great time if you can't tell from the kelly r kelly 12 play um thing it's funny he's like a braggadocious asshole but he's also kind of sensitive and i i find it i find it sort of moving in a weird way this whole album i can't figure it out so this is another example of that like it's a dated sound but that's part of what makes it interesting you know what i mean dan yeah, I mean, like I said with clips, you know, sometimes it's fun to, you know, it's like a little time capsule. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the same, the same rap, rap and R and B is fantastic for that. You know, you can listen to Tribe uh, talk about beepers and and pagers and whatnot in 2019. It's fun, you know, it, it's yeah. like a nice little thing. And you know, we've talked about before how like time will erase these problems eventually. You know, because like when we're 20 years from now. You won't be like, oh, it sounds like early 2000s. You'll be like, oh, cool. It sounds like the early 2000s. Exactly. Yeah. Nostalgia builds up or whatnot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, I did listen to this record um, in the lead up. But like, Gabe, the thing that I kind of was thrown off by is like, I feel like there was so much reliance on love hate. Like, I I can't remember if it's Walking on the Moon or or the the first track, Rocking That Shit. But um, (laughs) I keep hearing like falsetto. and like right, right uh you know what i mean like it just keeps like the callbacks to, to he like, loves shoddy it. is the shit just is very prevalent on the at least on the first part of the record anyway i mean i think it's so fun he loves to like he like quotes himself it's like he's so proud yeah. of his past you know songs that <laughs> one, he, his one record before, he constantly yes. quotes them and it's like he's just you know it, like it's that. like a complete yeah a song will like completely change i mean the songs are are often quite long and like overstuffed maximalist in the best way possible and then it'll just for like a few bars switch so that he can remind you that he wrote umbrella you know and then it's going back like he doesn't want you to forget that he wrote like basically the song of the year whatever year that came out um i think that's very charming another thing i wanted to mention is you know talking about we're not quite at poptimism yet i was really amazed to see that pitchfork didn't even review this album and it didn't make wow. their year-end list that's weird. Um, i'm yeah. sure they would call it a masterpiece now um and by the following year 2010 um this you know fits my theory that every you know 2010 is the year that poptimism took over um they bnm'd his third album that came out that year um so that's you know that's how fast things can change like you guys remember when pitchfork wouldn't even review pop artists 
Right? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. So I, I really, I really believe that this is where it switched. And also, I believe that I was ahead of the curve. Um, in you know, we were all we all were listening to Larue and stuff. Um, you know, we were ahead of Pitchfork, honestly. Um, okay, number two, Dan. What is your number two? Yeah, my number two, uh, Vic Chesnut at the cut. Uh, Vic wow. Chesnut. He was a yeah, he was a, um, a singer-songwriter from Athens, Georgia. Uh, he was uh, paralyzed in a car accident at the age of 18, and uh, he, he could only uh, play like very simple uh, guitar chords because his, his hands were like partially paralyzed. Um, and this album, this is uh, his penultimate album. It was released uh, just a couple months uh, before he died in a uh, self-inflicted uh, overdose, um, wow. suicide. Um, and the backing band on this record is Silver Mount Zion, um, one of my favorite bands, and some guy from Fugazi, um, who I don't care <laughs> about. Um, but it's just it's just uh, filled with these uh, um, like acoustic songs, um, but with Silver Mount Zion, you know, doing the the old Godspeed screwdriver and whatnot behind him, and uh, it's just very haunting, especially when you know the story that you know. He, he's singing about suicide a, a lot on this record and then you when you know he actually commits suicide uh, just a couple months later you know it's just uh, like a really dark really haunting uh record i uh, absolutely uh i love vic chesnut and i this is maybe my favorite record of his um it's just an all-around great record and uh the reason uh elephant six um moved to athens georgia is because of vic chesnut so wow we could thank him this is um yeah this is also not something really on my radar though i've heard his name and sort of knew his story um had no idea that silver mount zion was you know teaming up with him in any capacity that makes me really yeah they did interested. two records two records with him wow makes me really interested to uh check that out um elf power did one with him as well hmm. i don't suppose darren that that um uplifting story makes you interested in checking <laughs> this one out uh no not not exactly i mean it I like a good story, so <laughs> yeah. I will give it, you know, give it that. I am kind of curious to uh, check into it. Um, Dan, do you think that, uh, think I'd find anything interesting on this record? Uh, you, but you, honestly, you might, you know, you, you like, uh, you like Elliot Smith, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it's got, it's, I mean, it doesn't sound exactly like Elliot Smith or anything, but it's got a similar-ish vibe. I think if you can appreciate Elliot Smith, you could appreciate uh, old Vic Chesnut. So it's well, like you said he committed he commit he committed suicide. Uh, yeah, that? he overdosed. He overdosed on on, a muscle on Christmas relaxers. Day. <laughs> yes, on Christmas uh, Day. I, yeah, I think it was. Um, yep, he, Christmas Day, he did it. Two thousand nine. He um, <sighs> couldn't afford his medical bills, and so he killed himself. Ooh, that's extra yeah. sad. Hmm. Well, way to well, way to bring the podcast down. Yeah, this, this puts well, a little <laughs> dent in my theory that music was more fun and happy. In yeah, for real. Hmm. I'm gonna have to uh, gonna have to work. They on weren't that. playing this at the club. <laughs> no, no, they sure weren't. Um, okay, well, your number two, Darren. My number two was Saint Vincent's actor. Okay, interesting. Yes. I knew you'd have that on there somewhere. Well, yes, um, we reviewed. <laughs> Uh, I think her most recent record, right, on Metaphoric. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. I recall saying quite a bit that how I missed the old St. Vincent, you know, and this was the record. I'm actually glad it came out in 2009 so I could actually talk about it a little bit. This was the record I was talking about. Um, this was the first record that I had ever heard from St. Vincent, and I was sort of like immediately enamored just by kind of how strange it is, you know what I mean? So there's 
she's got this sort of you know obviously like pop vocalist um sound which she exploits a lot more on her most recent record but she's like playing guitar a lot on this record uh-huh. and like there's still like an, a very indie rock um approach to it and uh you know she ends up um or never mind i, I don't know what i was about to say but um <laughs> but yeah just just on this record in general like it's not full of like synths and you know super Katy perry pop or anything like that like it's it's just straight like indie rock like she just seemed very charming i was very excited to see what would come from after this record but i was just disappointed um so unfortunately this is the only record i can rely on are you you serious you don't like the next one uh, no strange mercy uh wasn't wasn't a big fan of that one <laughs> wow um weird yeah you know i'm um I never have listened to this album ever, and it wasn't until Strange Mercy that um, I discovered her and hmm. really, really loved it, but for some reason didn't feel compelled to go back to this one, um, even though it did get a lot of acclaim, and I remember that. Um, it does sort of bring up an interesting part of music in 2009, which is something I've never really been in touch with. Um, maybe you a little bit more, Darren, but you know that, like, it's like that female indie singer-songwriter thing that was, like, big at that time? I don't know, like, Regina Spector or, um, who's that person you made us listen to on that one, like, uh, you know, Guilty Pleasures thing we did on our previous podcast? Oh, God, yeah, what was that? That was awful. Jenny Lewis or something like that? (laughs) Um, was it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's actually how it came across to me. Like, somebody was just like, hey, you gotta check out this one track from this, you know, artist or whatever. And of course, me, it's like, I, I if I like the track, I've gotta listen to the whole album. You know, it's just right, how, right. how it works. But um, yeah, it was, it was exactly that. Like, people just, you know, I think like the playlist era was just starting to like kind of come about where people would just yeah. latch on to one song at a time and different artists and stuff like that. And St. Vincent was like totally in that wave you know yeah yeah i think i had an ipod by this time some some uh ipod mini or nano or some shit like that um but (laughs) it does seem to me without having ever listened to this um it does seem to me like she comes out of that world which never appealed to me very much but then does a whole hell of a lot more with it than you know your typical regina specter or whatever um so you know i wonder if this album would be an interesting look into the the crossroads that like indie singer songwriters were at in 2009 because that previous model was just not going to last much longer you know what i mean dan yeah yeah i i agree and and saint vincent really i think i'm not a huge huge fan of her i'm just not really super into like indie rock but i think she is like one of the the better examples of all that you know this record's not bad um i prefer the next one um Mm. But, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, of any of her stuff, but, you know, it's decent enough. All right. Well, number two for me um, is, you know, I cannot believe we have no cross- crossover yet. Yeah, I, don't I know. Just, it's I don't, crazy. <clears throat> I don't expect anybody to have this on their list either. Arctic Monkeys Humbug. Anybody? No, anybody? I, nope. I absolutely hate Arctic Monkeys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have hatred in your heart for the Arctic Monkeys, Darren? I I mean I don't but I I I have tried to listen to them especially like when you were like going crazy about them love them um, yeah back, I remember that I just could not <laughs> could not get in yeah could not get into them sorry wow I, I basically loved them from the start and you know this one is fascinating because it's kind of like this lost classic they they team up you know they they've kind of made this like really 
angular. It's like based on sort of that strokes, post strokes wave, you know, that's going on. Speaking of Julian Casablancas, um, especially in the UK in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And then here they suddenly make this strange turn where they team up with Josh Hami. That's also a word I learned how to say today. Um, the guy from <laughs> Queens of the Stone Age. Um, he's producing. And they just like transform from this like weird, tight, angular complexity thing to this sprawled out Sabbath style desert stoner rock kind of a vibe. Um, there's something like so dark and menacing about it, but it's, I would describe it more as like vicious than, you know, like heavy or metal or anything like that. Um, it's just, you know, I, we, we talked about Scott Walker last week, and I know this isn't anything like Scott Walker, but it's like these smart-ass kind of teenagers making like modern-day Britpop just transform into something else completely. And I, I loved those early records a whole lot, but this was the one where I'm like, you know, they're just establishing themselves as like one of the most interesting bands out right now. And I think, in my opinion, that kind of continues to this day. Um, you know, they don't exactly follow this path that that humbug sets but they you know they really have like explored a lot of interesting things throughout their you know late career and it's interesting you know talking about the strokes and julian casablanca is like this is pretty much the only band that has managed to sort of reinvent themselves forge something new stay relevant um all the way until today would you guys agree with that at least yeah, I will give you that. You know, of these like indie rock and, you know, that garage rock revival thing, they are like the sort of only one that's still around and not just around, <laughs> you know, doing shit that nobody cares about. You know, right. I, I remember when that last uh, Arctic Monkeys record came out, you know, and people were excited for it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I will at least give them that. Darren, you going to give them a little props for that at least? Yep, I would. Uh, I'm inclined to agree there. I, I can't. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's interesting. We were just talking about like um, St. Vincent and everything and like this, you know, because in 2009, 2009 is kind of a fascinating year. The more I think about it, we'll get to this in a minute. But it's like it, it's like a big change year because the garage rock stuff that had dominated like the last decade was basically dead. You know, it, it died like in 2009, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. And um you know, it's it's interesting that um, St. Vincent was able to sort of maneuver her way out of that earlier sound. And, you know, Arctic Monkeys did the same thing. Um, but now we're on to our number one. Stan, what is your number one album of 2009? Yeah, I'm sure this will be the time, you know, we've all got cross. You know, I'm sure we're all in agreement here. Uh, my number one son monoliths and dimensions <laughs> wow um, you had a real I, edgy this, list, I got to say. Really? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Really deep cuts here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I absolutely love Sun. They're one of my favorite bands. And uh, this this is maybe, you know, depending on my mood, this is maybe their best record. Um, you know, of course, you know what you're getting into with a Sun record. It, it, <laughs> it's, it sounds like your refrigerator running a little too loud. And, um, <laughs> you know, but here it, it's four tracks. You know, one side of vinyl for each each track, which mm, sort of becomes okay. their formula. I, I love it. It's just, you know, I, I, I love this, like, s- sonic bath that they create. Um, it, it, it's just something to get lost into. There, there's, for something so, like, sort of simplistic on the... Um, uh, uh, on the the surface, there, there's like so much to actually dive into and, and just 
I, I love to like listen to this record uh, like late at night with you know good headphones on, you know as loud as you can get it. You know they always say uh, maximum volume yields maximum results, um, <laughs> and just you can you could just like you can hear you know each individual amplifier. You know you can you can hear. It's it's sort of amplifier worship, you know, amplifier wanker right, or whatever. Right. But 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 I love that, and it's just it's just like a, a sort of like a little mini world to get lost into, as all their records uh, are. And and this is this is kind of the first record I think where they, they sort of like really kind of bring in um, synths and. Um, vocalists that are, are you know black one and and white one and two they they have uh you know, sort of like metal singers and all but but um like the second track here um uh mega or big big church uh some word that's like 90 characters long um there, there's like a like a choir um sort of piping up and everything it, it, it's just you know they they have a sound and they and they stick to it you know what you're getting but within that they they vary yeah. and i think i think that this is sort of you know maybe their their best work and and if you're gonna if you're gonna get into sun i think that this is the the best entry point and uh i again i don't think there's been um a year or probably many months that have gone by since 2009 uh that i haven't listened to this record wow you know it's um it's funny to think back because when um black one came out which Mm -hmm. was 2005 this was like at least to me, this was like their breakout. I mean, this is the one that the first one, I think that pitchfork, you know, like BNM did. It was yeah. like a big deal. And I thought it was like the funniest thing I had ever heard. Like, I just thought it was such a joke. No, I remember I, you and <laughs> one of our other friends would, uh, frequently make fun of it. And, Cause we would and play it and we'd be like, is there anything more ridiculous? And I'm like reading that he, uh, you know, recorded like these vocals in a coffin and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like, <laughs> I like, I just, I thought it was just the funniest thing. Um, and then by the time, and I really just wrote it off. And then when this one came out, I gave it a listen and I was kind of like, wait, this is serious. Like this is, uh, kind of terrifying and kind of amazing. And, um, what if it's not a joke? You know, I, I, (laughs) it it, it, like, it it pretty much converted me and, you know, I'm not like the hugest fan uh, because I do kind of think you always know what you're getting, but I, I do love what you said about how there's really a lot of room for sort of, you know, play with texture and stuff within the sun sound and, um, just nobody does it like them. Um, I'm guessing this is probably your number one as well, Darren. Oh yeah. How did you know? (laughs) Doesn't sound appealing to you? Not at all. Not even a little bit. Um, you know, maybe one day, maybe Dan will find a way to, to get this onto the podcast i'm sure so. i love how it's, it's just yeah. like you know we've been talking about like oh what were the trends of 2009 you know like dan was having a very different year to uh yeah. to us but um okay what was your number one darren uh well you know i i couldn't pick any other record it's animal collective okay okay yep. yep and i don't i mean we obviously talked at nauseum about this record recently we did so. we did I don't think there's much else to say. Um, but would you say that, like, you know, because when we did that podcast, you were down on it before we decided to revisit it. You know, time, right. you, you felt time had not been kind to it. So if before we did that podcast, I asked you what was the best album in 2009, do you think you still would have thought it was probably going to end up being Meriwether? Yeah, I think so. Because, 
like I mentioned earlier, I would have gone into Last FM and I would have seen, oh, you know, I listened to this record more than any other record of 2009. Let me check it out. That uh-huh. rediscovery would have led me to think, oh, yeah, this album is actually a lot better than I seem to remember. Okay. Yeah, I guess we don't have a whole lot to add. I'm surprised, Dan, that it didn't uh, it didn't make your list. You know, I, th- I really thought uh, hard about it. Um, but, you know, did I, you? I, I, I did. I, I really, I honestly did. I, um, you know, I... I I wanted to make a list of like what today and 2009 right, I think right. are the best records. And just, you know, a- especially after doing that whole episode on uh Meriwether, it's just not a record that I ever like organically feel like putting on, you know? I Yes, yes. I I just never it doesn't have that like staying power. When I hear it, it it's good, you know. I still enjoy it. Um, you know, and of course we talked about this already, but it just I never and I still don't have like a desire to ever put it on and that you know that just isn't gonna make a list you know i feel basically the same way it's like when we did that episode and by the way you should check it out if you want to hear very detailed thoughts uh from all of us on meriwether post pavilion um i listened to it so much and just sort of rediscovered and and like sort of re-fell in love with it i i I do appreciate Mm -hmm. it a lot but then just the thought these past two weeks of listening to it again after all that i know it's like so repulsive to me it's like when you've eaten a bunch of cake and someone's (laughs) like would you like some candy and you're like uh normally i love candy but no (laughs) yeah and i really i really want to you know it's not my number one i really want to state though for the record that i'm not just being edgy like i think it would be like number six or seven for me or something I, I i completely agree yeah but really it's like it's just it's it's a little much um my number one is the flaming lips embryonic um uh, we didn't have a single overlap in our in any that's of our crazy lives. that i'm I really shocked i really can't believe that that happened um but embryonic absolutely stunning record it's it's a double album um and the flaming lips you know they basically abandon their sunny pop you know style for like absolutely crushing existential darkness i gotta say it sounds like i mean dan have you listened to this album i have because in 2009 i always hated the flaming lips still do and you would force me to uh listen to this record you, wow. you, con- you constantly work, were like man. no it's good it's good trust me and i I've, i hate it still all, all week <laughs> i've been thinking you know like if i uh if if i just could play this to dan he would uh <laughs> you've, would you've like done it, it. you've done it i already, already. did it i guess <laughs> But, you know, it, it's basically like rooted in, you know, like Miles Davis's elect, electric period. You know, it's got like mm-hmm. the same. Which textures. I do love. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that they they make this fit their sound. Um, but it sounds like it's being concocted in like the spaceship from 2001 Space Odyssey or something. Um, it's like kind of like dystopian sounding it's largely bass driven with like a really strong kraut rock and kind of post-punk vibes especially like the really moody joy division stuff um and i love how like there's this blown speaker kind of vibe to it like like everything is in the red and the record is loud as fuck um but it's completely integral to the sound um and a lot of times like things like amp buzzes and just like electronic kind of glitching is part of like the rhythm or the melody or something of the track. Um, and it's a classic double album where like these weird half ideas are everywhere that you can explore. Um, the more, you know, there are songs that are very long and just like really spread out. And, you know, I just, that shit is just right up my alley. Um, and it's an even better version. You know, we were talking about like, um, grizzly bear, uh, zigging when everybody else is zagging, you know? Um, 
this is like the supreme example because the flaming lips in my opinion they almost helped invent like this kind of warm fun indie tronica thing that was really peaking at this time you know like mm-hmm. with yoshimi especially and then it's like time for them to like just basically sit on their throne as the godfathers of the most popular sound you know on the planet at this time and instead they just like pull this crazy shit you know they put out like the darkest i mean it's it's truly in the lyrics you know sometimes people cringe about like flaming lips lyrics i would disagree but <laughs> they're like brutal brutally dark um another thing well darren do you um do you like this album at all? Um, I really couldn't get into it. So, you know, in 2009, again, checking the last FM records, um, I was busy listening to a lot of Yosh- Yoshimi, just tons and tons of that. I mean, if this was a 2002 list, we would be talking about this album. <laughs> I would be at least. Um, also self bulletin. I was listening to old flaming lips. I, I was, I did not listen to this record in 2009. And so I did listen to it in the lead up to this and just, I liked it. You know, I, I feel like though it is like, it's too big of an album to just, you know, dedicate just two weeks to and feel like yeah, confident yeah. about putting it on a list like this. But, uh, I, I could understand why. I mean, I, I could get into it in other words is what I'm trying to say. I just think it's like such a cool and brave. It's like, different. It's thing. definitely different. Yeah, I mean, it's different, and I think it totally holds up, and it, there, there's, like, just a lot to explore here. Um, it doesn't sound like 2009, because it's almost, like, rebelling against 2009 in a weird way. Um, I did want to mention another, you know, I did some some historical research here, some archival research. Um, kidding a little bit, but um, here's something you might not have known. Record Store Day began in 2008, and in my opinion, Record Store Day basically ruined the Flaming Lips, <laughs> you know, because... Oh, yeah. They're, they're like, they are the kings of, of <laughs> collector garbage. They're obsessed with, like, you know, it's like, oh, <sighs> uh, a song with uh, Kesha and Miley Cyrus, like, on a ruby starfruit, like, vinyl or something, or, like... A 24-hour um, song in a skull. In a real human skull. Yeah, I actually Gosh. couldn't come up with a more crazier... I couldn't exaggerate one <laughs> no, exactly. beyond that. Really. Um, you know, they... You know what I mean? Like, it's like the Flaming Lips were basically like one of the greatest indie bands until I, Record Store Day existed. I basically, I think that is one of the reasons I hate the Flaming Lips. <laughs> I, I I hate Record Store Day. I've been collecting records since I was, uh, you know, much younger than that. And uh, they just, you know, they, they, they are part of the reason that like all this collector garbage started happening and why records <laughs> they are. cost really so goddamn much money they now. They spearheaded the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the record store. I, I can't uh, stand it. Okay, they're well, like let's... the ki- they're like the kiss of indie rock, you know, just like <laughs> they're more about merch than anything else. Well, now they are, but they had a they had a good run. They had a fucking fantastic run. I'm, I'm um, sure Kiss did too. <laughs> okay, let's you know. I want to talk about the you know the big picture now. Zoom out a little bit, but first, um, let's just recap our list, Dan. Five to one. What did you have? Yeah, Black Boss, Super Rainbow, Eating Us. Four was Clips, Till the Casket Drops, Fever Ray, Self-Titled, Vic Chesna, At the Cut at number two, and number one was Sun, Monoliths, and Dimensions. And Darren? Number five was La Rue with La Rue. Uh, Number four, Discovery, LP. Number three, Julian Casablanca's Phrases for the Young. Number two, St. Vincent, Actor. And number one, Animal Collective, Meriwether Post Pavilion. And I had number five, The Field, Yesterday and Today. Number four, Grizzly Bear, Vekidamist. There we go. Uh, number three, The Dream, Love versus Money. Number two, Arctic Monkeys, Humbug. And number one, Flaming Lips, Embryonic. So any honorable mentions, just 
just miss your list by a hair. We already talked about uh, Animal Collective Meriwether's post Animal Collective's Meriwether Post Pavilion, but any other honorable mentions for you guys? Yeah, I had uh, Gucci Mane's The State versus Radrick Davis. I really struggled uh, <laughs> as to what would be. Dear God, yeah, f- fuck both of y'all. Um, I really, I honestly, really went back and forth between what would be number five and just the the problem with state versus Roger gravis as with a lot of uh rap albums especially in this time period too many skits and then just just a little too long you know there there it could have yeah, used some yeah. editing but it does it does feature lemonade which is probably gucci's uh biggest hit and uh one of the greatest rap songs uh of all time and if you're bang if it's not on your banger playlist don't invite me to your party kind of interesting <laughs> that uh yeah, because trap is going to emerge, mm-hmm. and you know it's like kind of underground still at this time. I mean, I know there's some hits. Yeah, honestly, stuff, Lemonade is sort of like the the yeah. first big hit. Yeah, it's on the verge of like taking over hip hop, and we're, we still live in the trap era. You know, um, I personally think it's about time to like thanks to see Gucci. something else. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, that that is sort of another momentous uh, thing. Um, I'm surprised, Dan, in continuing to talk about honorable mentions. This was definitely one for me. Might have been my number six, honestly. Um, Raekwon's only built for Cuban links too. You, didn't, you know, uh, I that's a record that you know everybody loves so much, and I just think it, you know, it it doesn't come anywhere close to Cuban links one. I, I in fact, I listened to this record a ton this week just because I I felt like I was, I was missing <laughs> I was missing it something, but it just really it seems sort of disjointed, and you know, it's like a good uh, you know uh, post. Uh, uh, yeah, career, you know, not not career, but uh, you know, like uh, the post, the you know, main golden age. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> uh, of like Raekwon and stuff, you know, like it, it's perfectly good. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like people, the Cuban Links name makes people kind of give it a little more credit maybe, than it deserves. Maybe it does strike me as like you know, I listen to it a lot um, as well, and I think it's actually really, it's really really good. And I think people were just like so relieved that it was actually good that they yeah, thought it that was. They gave like, it great. a little, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel about it. It's good, yeah. but it's it's not it's not fantastic. Yeah, it's got a little bit of that vibe of like it's almost like recreating the classic RZA sound from the '90s, except with like digital technologies mm-hmm. now or something, and and then it's like all of a sudden there will be like a Dr. Dre beat, and it's like very slick, and you're like, why is this here? You know, exactly. Um, but but the rapping is is like strong as fuck i got to say the whole time um what about you darren any uh i got a couple more but any honorable mentions for you i do actually have some um very close to being on my list but uh uh k-pop actually had an interesting uh, yeah. year okay. in 2009 yes um it's all the release of a couple of uh interesting records uh to anyone which is arguably the greatest of okay, K-pop okay. girl bands debuts this year with their aptly titled first mini album. <laughs> Great, um, creative. Yes, uh, G Dragon has his first solo record, and Girls Generation releases the single called G, which ended up being mm. like a massive yeah. YouTube video uh, hit, Big breakthrough moment. Yeah, and I would say that you know, really, 2010 is where K-pop really started to rise on the international scene and then kind of peaked around 2012 i would say uh-huh. but um but yeah this year was was important for k-pop and i it needed to be mentioned sorry dan yeah <laughs> no 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 thank you i'll pass yeah. I, I, I did have to, uh, another honorable mention though uh yeah. tim hecker's an imaginary country it's mm. a you know it, it's sort of one of his uh you know second tier kind of uh records but I, I don't think he can he could record anything bad. Uh, that that was another one I sort of s- struggled to to fit into the list. Yeah, 
Yeah, got a little off topic, but I was just reading the uh, the Reddit um, Let's Talk Music or whatever it's called. Um, mm-hmm. There was a very cute, very adorable post by somebody who was like asking about ambient music. Oh, like, I read I never... that. I read that today. At work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never liked ambient music. I thought it was just like you know pleasant background stuff. But then I listened to a Tim Hecker record, and it made me feel you know like very. It unsettled. was hot. I didn't hot know. Me. Uh, hot yeah. me, hot me, do it again. <laughs> I didn't know ambient music could do that. Like you know, it was, it was very. Uh, like, wow, the whole world has been opened up. You just want to pat them on the head. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple other honorable mentions really almost made my list. Mew. Uh, the, the album is called like No More Stories. It's actually like an entire like stanza of poetry. The album, but No More Stories for short. Um, really love that one. Real Estate, their self-titled album came out. Oh, the that year. is and good. Some of their like their next album, I really like a whole lot more. But this is this is really a great gem. I would describe it as. Um, you know, basically, you know, in looking at all of our lists here, it's kind of interesting because, in my opinion, it's like Dan is kind of going like. I don't know, a full underground sort of, um, as far as the narratives of 2009 that I was constructing in my head. Um, Darren is more like in the, what I imagine 2009 to sound like. And then I was kind of like somehow impressed in returning to the albums that, you know, not all of them, but seems to kind of like turn away from what was happening at the time. Like, you know, some of these like Arctic monkeys and these, you know, grizzly bear and flaming lips and stuff um you know so how do you guys think about like just this this year in general i mean i wouldn't call these honorable mentions but there was a lot of other big stuff going on this year you know particularly like lady gaga's fame monster um this was another one for me where i was like because that bad romance song i was like pop is just as good as anything else like there's stuff on the radio that is just as Mm -hmm. good like why isn't pitchfork reviewing it i mean do you guys agree with my the narratives I'm building here? Like this is like Indian pop or meeting, you know, poptimism is happening. You know what I mean? Uh, no, I I I hundred uh, percent agree. You know, especially Lady Gaga. You know, I think that really was like sort of a, a bridge between the two things because she started. You know, like that. Uh, remember they were like released that EP and then they like re-released it once like the song hit uh, with like a couple more tracks or whatever. And uh, it seems like she was sort of the first like pop artist like that 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 pitchfork started paying attention to you know we started getting like articles about her yeah and, it's true you know just, just sort of general chatter and even um you know um on like mew and stuff you know people started like taking notice of her whereas like you know something like Katy perry or you know whatever you know britney spears something like nobody would have like even it would have been on anybody's radar you know you, we wouldn't right. know anything other than maybe like the song that you heard on the radio but you know right. lady gaga and in, in that ep in in particular i feel like was the first time a lot of people kind of uh you know woke up and 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 said pop music can it it has um credibility and and whatnot yeah i think that um you know it really came to fruition for me when we were at one of those i can't remember is it the orpheum club which was like sort of like a like an indie club right yeah yeah you'd hear songs like 1901 from phoenix right Right, and then you'd also hear bad romance in that same place you know you weren't hearing Katy Perry or the Britney Spears, but you did hear Lady Gaga. Exactly. Like, and yeah. that same place was bumping Kanye the next year when right. know, Dark Fantasy came out. So like it, that was really <clears throat> where I felt like, okay, it's this is happening. Like it, it really is entering like indie pop and electronic are all kind of like colliding here. I know. I mean, I, I just had like a real sense of that at the time, but I felt like even Pitchfork was 
like behind us a little bit because I, you know, I remember feeling like sort of outraged that they weren't covering stuff like, like this. Um, and then they would eventually switch in my opinion, when Kanye like yeah. made it okay to like mainstream music, um, the following year with my beautiful dark dose of fantasy. But I was, you know, I was like digging back through stuff and you know, I don't know if you remember like Shakira, she wolf, um, that, that single, you know, I was just like, for some reason I really liked that song and it's basically, it's like kind of a LaRue style, like, Indietronica song that Shakira is doing of all people, you know? And so like, that's like sort of the old guard, the old Britney Spears era of pop, like updating for the new sound, you know? Um, so I still think that's a good song. I don't think any of the rest of the record is very good, but it's like, you know, I was, I was really convinced that there was, there were gems to find in pop. And so that's what's like, what I was kind of was weighing on me this whole week is like, like what happened? Because now I really resent Pitchfork's poptimism, like full blown poptimism. Um, you know, is it that pop music was better back then and like genuinely more exciting? Um, was it that indie and pop were closer together at that time? Was it that we're just being hipsters and now that it's cool, we don't like it? I mean, what is going on? Now, I think the thing is, is like Pitchfork back then. It, they didn't they didn't go full into it you know uh, you you'd get a story about lady gaga they talked about kanye and all but you know you didn't hear every little you know thing yeah. from 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 all these people that that aren't worth hearing about you know like they they've they've taken to to talking about the Katy Perry's of the world and the, the Britney Spears and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like before they sort of like that was muted and and you know if there was a a, a good pop artist you you needed to know about like they tell you about that one. Um, whereas now it's it's just too much. They've they've gone too yeah. into the deep end of it. Yeah, it was almost like an inversion because it'd be like, oh, you know, indie is really established. You know, we all love it here's a pop song that you should also enjoy you know like we know that stuff's good you might not realize that here's like a gem of a pop song that is also good you know whereas now it's like every major label pop thing is supposed to be like the best thing ever um you kind of on board with this darren do you have a better explanation no yeah i mean i just think that they hesitated um to their own detriment to to not like jump on this when when it was happening you know what i mean um and i you know i don't know why but um certainly when we get to like 2010 you know they they start really pushing like robin you know they really get behind robin yeah yeah in a bit in a major way and i i think like they get behind lord too right Uh, a little bit yeah well that's a little later yeah this is yeah once they're kind of already (laughs) embracing most of that stuff but um yeah, I don't I don't know if if there was just like a worry that the overall readership would get turned off because I mean Lady Gaga, you know, before Bad Romance still had like, you know, she was like a popular artist, you know, right, I mean? it's right. not as if she was just being discovered with Bad yeah. Romance. So, you know, I could understand maybe the the hesitation there. And I mean and to look go ahead. At, at at the time, I'm looking at their their uh top 100 songs list of 2009. Uh Paparazzi got number 83, you know? Like <laughs> if wow. if that happened today, you know, Paparazzi know. would probably be in the top 10, you know, yeah, at least so, yeah. the top 15. Drake, best I ever had, it's 86, you know? Can you imagine wow. Drake Ooh. only getting 86 wow. in today's pitchfork? Uh you know, yeah, it just wouldn't we- happen. Can we talk about Drake? Um, we got it, right? Because this is the year, and I thought it would be on your 
list, uh, Darren. But so far gone is like yeah. Breakthrough mixtape comes out. Did you consider putting it on your list? I did. I did. I came back to it and listened to it uh, a few times. I, I would probably have put it amongst my honorable mentions, but I, I had to talk about K-pop. So okay, and you guys, okay. you guys talked enough about like hip hop and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's fascinating because when you listen to So Far Gone, you're listening to the new sound. You know, I mean, same thing with Gucci Mane, I guess, but you are basically hearing the dominant sound for the next decade um, in its like emerging form. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in my opinion, I do kind of think that like music was really fun and happy in 2009 kind of overall. Um, and Drake's going to take that shit like dark and sad, you know, like we're gonna be crying on the crying in the club, you know, for the next <laughs> 10 years. And, and it's like, it's, it's really just incredible to, I mean, I think the record's like a little long, I was interested yeah. to remember that, um, how do you say that person's name? Likely or like, likey Lee or, you know what I'm talking about? Likely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Likely. Yeah. So he, he, he samples that little bit, um, song on, on, right. on there. And, um, it's pretty fascinating that there's another like great example of Indian pop, like colliding, which will be totally, I mean, by like, I mean, what, like by the following year, the weekend is like sampling like Cocteau twins and shit like that. I mean, it's like, it's, it's totally on the verge of happening, but you know, maybe the most important record of this year is Drake's So Far Gone because it really shows the path ahead. You know what I mean? Right. And he, you know, just continues right on into the next year with like his, uh, what is it? The major out, major label debut. Thank with, me uh, later. Thank me later. Yeah. Thank me um, now or whatever. Yeah. Which I recall loving quite a bit. I yeah. probably would have to revisit it, but um I, I remember listening to that quite a bit. Now so far gone, I definitely listened to a lot back in two thousand nine. But um yeah, I don't know. I just when I came back to it and listened to it, I just didn't feel like all that uh attached to it. You know? know. It definitely had like the mixtape vibe to it. And I guess obviously in hindsight now listening to it, it's like, well, this is just old Drake. Like he Sure. He sure. improves on this he definitely uh, does. immensely so but doesn't it, it still feels like momentous that it came out for sure oh to me, yeah yeah best, it just, I, like, best i ever had yeah i mean come on. it just symbolizes like that year in a nutshell it's like here's where we were and here's where we're going you, you want with me on this dan yeah i mean i i'm not a drake fan um and i haven't listened to that record in in years and years but yeah i mean d- definitely I just, I just remember, like, I, I, I have never um, experienced this before, really, but it was like, um, you know, one of these memories where I'm, re- I'm realizing that like pop can be just as amazing as like the indie music that I love and the classic rock music, the '60s music that I love. You know, um, I'm like at this party and that "Best I Ever Had" song comes on, the first time I've ever heard it, and I did remember hearing a like somebody mentioned as a joke that the guy from Degrassi was trying to rap. You know. Um, <laughs> So then somebody said it was Drake, and I was like, that's the dude from Degrassi? This is actually a really good song. And then at that party, like, somebody just decided to play that song on repeat for, like, I swear, an entire hour, and nobody was upset. Everybody was completely happy <laughs> because we all couldn't believe, like, what a great song it was. And, I mean, I just, like, you know, I didn't know how high, you know, the heights he would reach. But, like, just at that moment, I was like, you know, this is a big deal. And, in fact, it... It really defined the sound for the next decade. I find that oh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, other stuff. Um, any other stuff that you guys were like had fun remembering? I was really. You mentioned um, 1901, Phoenix, Listomania. Um, you know, those were huge fucking songs that year. We heard those at the at the club every time. And 
Um, oh yeah, Passion Pit. I really enjoyed rediscovering that Sleepyhead song is an absolute slapper of an Indietronica song. Um, you know, but when it comes to like Phoenix, you guys at the time I thought that they were like too mainstream. Did you guys have a similar kind of vibe there? Yeah, I've never, I've never liked Phoenix. Um, they, but you'll yeah. start, you'll start jumping around, right? If I mean, like, if Listomania starts playing, you're like, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, when I was at the club, if it play, you know, f- fine. But you know, I'm not going to listen to it at home. <laughs> what did you think darren were you a fan at the yeah time? i don't know i yeah i mean i was a big fan at the time really loved that song 1901 like i would get like really hyped up on that song but um you know i i kind of i just didn't take them seriously beyond that you know yeah yeah um and even revisiting that record uh wolfgang amadeus phoenix um, yeah <laughs> you know um, pretty much right after list of mania 1901 i'm like okay that yeah, nice. I kind of feel Ready that way to too. On. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, God, it's almost like I mean, because like we said, I think this is like sort of peak Indietronica. It's like the sound that like actually it's interesting because I think MGMT maybe like two years earlier, one year earlier, kind of broke through with that sound. Um, I'm sure you guys all remember the MGMT breakthrough, mm-hmm. and um, and MGMT actually does some guest work on embryonic by the flaming lips um they're like thrashing out and going crazy and then of course by 2010 they'll also do their own you know about face and make congratulations which is really weird and totally abandoning like their hitmaker status um so you know i just i always thought of like phoenix is like mgmt light although now i will i will allow myself to admit that they're you know these are actually like really great singles um other stuff you remember Owl City Fireflies? This is basically just like um, oh god, a yeah. uh, postal service ripoff song, um, but huge hit and like just a completely indie Tronica song. You know? Yeah, that's a song I uh, I'd like to never hear again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does kind of suck. I, I listened to it again this week. Um, yeah, let's see what else. Other stuff I wanted to uh, to fly through. Um, Kid Cudi. Yeah. Man on the Moon comes out that year. That was that was really big record. I never really liked it, although I do love that song Maker Say, especially Kanye's verse. Um what is it? Like Born in eighty eight. How old is that? Old enough. Um fantastic. <laughs> uh what were you gonna mention, Dan? Uh Surfer Blood starts up. Um Okay. Which uh speaking of record store day, remember they played record store day <laughs> they did. At, at the record store we go to. Um and we might have saw them, but and we'll say what we did in a tiny little place. <laughs> uh also uh J- Jay Z had uh the blueprint three mm, with uh em- Empire, Empire State, State of Mind. Which has my favorite line ever, uh where dreams are made of which makes I, no sense. <laughs> I find that so so where, strange. Where yeah. dreams are made of. Any other fun memories for you, Darren? No, I think that uh, I think that we've pretty much covered it. Um, you didn't mention Lily Allen. She uh, Lily Allen love absolute love. Yep, she her record "It's Not Me, It's You" came mm-hmm. out in two thousand nine. Had some really fun songs on there. That was another an pop album, album that blew my mind. Yeah, that was definitely she was a lot of fun. Um, darker darker days uh when we got the uh black eyed peas i got a feeling and boom boom pow that year oh yeah Ke- kesha's <laughs> boom, boom, tiktok uh oh my okay i do remember hearing that I pitchfork is trying to you know make us care about kesha nowadays and it does sound like she's going through shit but her music sucks um the lonely island i'm on a boat i'd oh, rather forget God. about all of that shit 
Um, hey, this one's actually good. Asher Roth, I love college. Oh um, shit, I forgot I all about that, that guy. I um, <laughs> fuck with that. Song. I can't remember who it was, but I went to some concert and he was one of the openers. And I I got there late and I missed him. And I wow. I, I wanted to hear I that college song so bad. Well, is he the is he the original Mac Miller or is um, Mac Miller before him? I wonder. Um, I really <laughs> I, I think both. it's Asher. Yeah. I really liked both around that same time, but yeah, Asheroth feels like the blueprint of early early Mac Miller. Um, Miley Cyrus, "Party in the USA." That song I still actually like. Um, irresistibly catchy. And here's something you guys might not have remembered: a uh, big event from 2009, not directly related to 2009, but we got at long last the Beatles remasters that year. And I, uh, yeah. if you guys are anything like me, uh, you probably spent about six months of 2009 just listening to the yes. Beatles. My yep. last FM was, was covered yeah. in Beatles. Yeah. Yep. Now, now I know why. I was like, there hey, you what go. was I doing listening to the White House so much <laughs> that year? Jesus. Yeah, I went out and bought those and, uh, you know, on CD, like an idiot. Um, <laughs> and then, they, and then uh, a couple months later, they released the mono box set, which is much better. Mm. And uh, I just had to torrent that one. 2009 yeah, really, dan couldn't afford it <laughs> yeah yeah you really needed both um but yeah so that was i mean that was momentous um you didn't mention weezer you know <laughs> record that ratitude i spent some time no, yeah. i spent some time listening to ratitude i surely did um hey there's some some indie crossover going on with lil wayne can't stop partying oh that's right that's right the real <laughs> That's where, that's where Indy really broke into the mainstream. <laughs> that's where they truly, truly collided. Um, well, also, we're, we're, we're forgetting the biggest cultural event of all of 2009. Kanye okay. interrupts Taylor Swift at the VMAs. Is Le- that right? That's yeah. 2009. 2009. Oh, yeah. And wow. that leads us to you know, one of the greatest albums of all time, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. That's true. Wow. That's right. Wow. What a uh, what a year i mean you know to wrap up i really do believe that this is like you know it's it's a weak year i think we all kind of agree with that it's not Mm -hmm. you know it's not super strong it's Um, a transition year it's an it's a transition year and it's almost like completely fascinating for that reason because it's like you can just look at music this year and see where music you know was and now where it's going and I mean, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's like, you know, like sides of the same coin where it's like you got Drake on one side and then like Phoenix on the other. Like, that's what was big before. Now this is what's going to be big next, you know, and it's all just swirling around here together. I mean, weak year, but like really fascinating and kind of fun time, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, that's why I, I would describe it as a transition year rather than a weak year, which is something like, you know, in 2009, I probably would have said it was a weak year. But, um, you know, looking back, and, and that, that's something interesting, you know, I, I'd like to do that with some other years that seemed bad um, at the time. Because, yeah, you know, once you can see the trends and everything, uh, it makes more sense. And it's, uh, it's really interesting to look back at. Yeah, I think that uh, it'll be real interesting when we get around to talking about like 2010, which I think we all agree is at least a, a monumental year. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? And yeah. I you know I hope in that conversation we kind of reflect on like the year before and the year after 2010 because it's just such a such a huge year and I, I feel like it's it sets so many trends in motion. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that we have a little bit of a plan to uh, over the course of the year. Um, I guess whenever we can't think of anything uh, to do, (laughs) 
top five of, you know, 99, 89, 79, 69. Um, you know, weirdly, I suspect that, you know, I, I, maybe we could talk about that later. I don't understand how it's possible, but each one of those feels like it's going to be a year in transition, you know, because it always feels right. like right on time, music changes like in time for the decade. Um, That's right. So, so that means we're probably in a transitional year right now, but um, I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of other interesting crossroads uh, in the future. Yeah, well, that's enough for this week. And uh, a little disclaimer, if we didn't mention, uh, you know, whatever your favorite record is or whatever, <laughs> we didn't like it. Uh, but you can, you can go ahead and you can email it's us It's not because we didn't know it. It's not because we missed <laughs> no, no, it. I just no. want everybody we, to know that. We don't miss anything. Uh, but if you want to complain or whatever, go ahead. Uh, you can email us, popshieldpod at gmail.com. In all seriousness, no, we, we would like to hear uh, your thoughts. Um, our next episode is going to be in two weeks. We'll be talking about Beyonce's Homecoming and uh, the future of live albums in general. So if you like the show, help us out. Subscribe. Leave us a five-star uh, review wherever you get your podcasts. And stay connected. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that is at Pop Shield Pod. And we'll see you in two weeks. See ya. So long. Yeah.